That's right. His eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches me. Isn't that a comfort to you? Uh, it ought to be that. Nothing catches God by surprise. I'm so grateful for that. All right, grab your Bibles, if you would, please, tonight. <clears throat> uh, we're going to be, uh, oh, I forgot to ask, uh, have you been preaching out of uh, Revelation recently? All right, good, all right, good, because we're going to be going to Revelation chapter number three. <laughs> so why are you asking that? Well, I, I tend not to try to preach the same exact passage that a pastor just preached. And, uh, you know, just uh, I just think it's, uh, I don't know, considerate perhaps or wise, you know, and, and such. Uh, not that we would disagree that much at all. Uh, it's just uh, if you just heard it preached, then, uh, then I tend not to go to the same place. Uh, before we get into the message tonight, I am going to highlight a couple products here. First of all, we've got our, our family cards here. This is, uh, there's no more of these being printed. And uh, these are the last because, you know, my whole family, we're not traveling all together anymore. Look at that. Kind of sad. Uh, but uh, if you want to pick one of these up, we still have them on our table. And you can kind of get to see the rest of the family, what the rest of the family looks like. It's got our information on the back and such. We just love for folks to be praying for us. That's, uh, that, there's nothing like it. Uh, having folks praying for us. And that's so encouraging. Uh, we have some challenges ahead this year, which I'll probably share with you through the course of the week. Uh, so we appreciate your prayer. Uh, this CD I'm going to talk about, it's called Acapella. And this is the original all acapella album. The complete and D song that I played, that I sang tonight is on this album. And all of it is acapella up to about 30 voices on here that I've done. And so if, uh, if that would be of interest to you, that's over on our table. And then uh, I, I'm talking about this book tonight. Uh, Dr. Frank Garlock just passed away. How many of you know that name? If I said Dr. Frank Garlock, okay. Okay, a few of you. Uh, founder of Majesty Music, he would be Patch the Pirate's father-in-law. How many of you know Patch the Pirate? Okay, all right. Well, there's a lot of Patch the Pirate songs in the early days, especially that actually Dr. Garlock wrote uh, that um, he's now gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, I wrote a book on revival, and then uh, he had some chapters that he added to this book. So we co-authored this book together on, I just called it, We Need Revival. And it's got some uh, practical insight. It's not a heavy read, uh, but uh, with the renewed interest, I'm grateful for the renewed interest on revival. Maybe this will be a blessing to you uh, in your personal reading. Revelation chapter number three. If you're physically able to stand, I'd like to ask you to do so briefly. If you're not physically able to stand, we completely understand that. And that's all right. Revelation chapter number three, beginning in verse number 14. I love hearing the sound of pages turn, right? And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear." 
And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Dear Lord, I pray you'd guide us tonight in the time we have remaining. Guide me, fill me with your spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm not going to go into a lot of the background of this part of the book of Revelation. You will notice that it's the book of Revelation, singular, right? It's not Revelations, all right? It's all one complete revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you want to see what Jesus looks like today, this is the picture. You find the picture just a few chapters earlier, and I want to tell you something. A lot of people today don't mind Jesus being thought of as a little baby in a manger. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, Christmas, Jesus, baby in a manger. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's King Jesus, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and it's only a matter of time. That clock is ticking down until he rules and reigns on this earth. Amen? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> you want to talk about all the government waste and corruption is going to be fixed when he takes over? Going to be a lot. It's going to be great. He's going to rule with an iron, uh, iron fist. And uh, boy, what a day that's going to be. Isn't it amazing that still people are going to rebel? Even under King Jesus. Wow, wow, just shows the sin nature. But that's not where we're going, all right? But this is, this is that Jesus who uh, reveals these things to John. And he writes these seven letters. And we come to the last of these seven letters here. And uh, this is one of those passages. Are you ready to hear a, a, a secret? It's just us here, right? This passage confused me to death when I was younger. Uh, this passage bothered me. I, it's not because Jesus says to the church here that I want you to be hot. That makes sense, right? Uh, we ought to be on fire for God, amen? I mean, that we preach that all day long and amen it and rightfully so. We ought to be on fire for God. We need to be hot, the hot church. That's what we want to be. That's not the part that bothered me. It's that other part where it seems like Jesus is saying, if you're not going to be hot, if you're not going to be on fire for me, well, you might as well be cold and dead like the world. That always confused me, always bothered me because it didn't seem to go along with the rest of the character of who God is and who Jesus is. Now, of course, we come to a difficult passage in Scripture and uh, something that doesn't seem to line up correctly, as long as we make sure we understand it correctly, our job is not to rewrite the Bible or try to change it to meet uh, what we think it ought to be, but just to, to, uh, to abide by it and to accept it. Amen? I, my dad said this. I don't know that it was original with him, but uh, in my early days of studying the Bible, he said, listen, to understand the Bible, you've got to stand under it. If you really want to understand the Word of God, you have to be willing to submit yourself to the Word of God. So just because something's difficult or hard to obey doesn't mean that we, you know, seek for another way. But we have to make sure that we're properly understanding the Word of God first. I have my glasses with me. I'm just on the verge of, uh, of not needing them. Actually, I used to say that I, I think I probably do need them now but it's more for things like right here. Just started happening recently. Some of you are smiling with knowing, with knowing looks. But just recently, my wife will say, hey, look at this, and boom, right here, and I'm like, whoa! 
You know, that's really close. And I'm kind of like doing this thing, right? Uh, but uh, when we put on glasses, how many of you have heard the term looking at the world through rose-colored glasses, right? What does that mean? Well, it's, it's a, I think it's an old song from like the 20s or something like that. Uh, I uh, used to sing it in a barbershop quartet years ago, right? Anyone know barbershop quartets? Oh, those are a lot of fun, right? Well, anyway, uh, the idea is that someone looking at the world through rose-colored glasses means that, that the glasses have a shading to them that make everything look more rosy. There are uh, sunglasses that you can get that make everything look yellow, right? Banana world, it's not that the world has turned yellow, it's that the lenses through which we're looking alter things. You know, sometimes I believe just, it's not that we do it on purpose, but I think we can bring our 21st century lenses to the Word of God and superimpose things on the text of Scripture that aren't really there. Let me illustrate for you. Um, we do this sometimes by use of, of, of uh, uh, figures of speech. Let me, let me, let me, how about this? Um, how many of you have ever had butterflies in your stomach? What are you eating? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> at least most of the time, people usually mean that that, that means you're nervous, right? doesn't mean that you ate butterflies or that you ate caterpillars and they turned into butterflies. Well, they're, right? No, that's not what it means. It's a figure of speech, right? How about this one? How about um, a frog in your throat? Have you ever had a frog in your throat? Same thing, right? It's a figure of speech intended to have, uh, uh, to, that everybody kind of understands. What if you go to the mission field, though? <laughs> this, even uh, down to Mexico. Uh, my wife, when I was giving some voice lessons to people, uh, and she was translating for me into Spanish, I discovered very quickly that I tend to use a lot of figures of speech. Uh, I will say things, you know, well, it, sometimes it feels kind of like you got a frog in your throat. Well, she can't literally translate that to the person because they're going to think that I'm saying that they have a frog in their throat, literally, right? Uh, it's raining cats and dogs. I sure hope not, right? Okay. Here's one that I think directly applies. The idea of being on fire for God in and of itself is actually a figure of speech, right? Being on fire for God. We're not literally on fire, right? The, uh, the, the Super Nintendo game system came out and I soon found my favorite game of all. Any of you familiar with Super Nintendo? All right, all right, yeah, yeah. Okay, they came out with a basketball game called NBA Jam. And it was my favorite game. And it was two-on-two -two basketball. And, uh, and if you made three baskets in a row without the opposing team making a basket, an announcer would come on and he would say, he's on fire. And the ball, when you had the ball, would literally like go up in flames. And that meant that you couldn't miss because you were on fire. Now, how many of us have had our favorite team, instead of being on fire, they start throwing up bricks. They're not bringing bricks onto the playing surface, onto the basketball court. <laughs> that just means they've gone cold. You see where I'm headed with this? We naturally think that being on fire for God or the temperature hot is a good thing and being cold is a bad thing. 
But is that what the passage says? Let's go back to it. Jesus actually says, verse 15, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, I want you to be either cold or hot. Jesus is saying, church, I want you to be one or the other. I want you to be hot. I want you to be cold. We're the ones that come along and assume that hot is good and cold is bad. It doesn't say there say that anywhere in the text. Well, interesting. You know, something that further helped me was discovering that Laodicea was part of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was very advanced, well, beyond what we tend to think of. In fact, they, in some areas, had um, indoor plumbing in some of their cities. We don't think of that in the time of Christ, you know, indoor plumbing, right? Well, what they would do many times is they would find a spring. You know what a spring is, right? My wife grew up in the state and city of Aguascalientes. It's like New York, New York. Aguascalientes, Aguascalientes, Mexico. It's the geographical center of the country, and it's named after some hot springs. Aguas, meaning waters. Calientes, which means hot, right? And in fact, we visited a place where they had connected to some of those hot springs and they would pump that way. It didn't even need to pump the water. It just would kind of flow out of the ground and they would fill up huge um, pools, I guess you'd call them, and you could get in those. And let me tell you, it was so hot. In fact, that was a little bit strange, I have to admit. I say it humorously, but you know, it's 105 degrees outside. Where are we going to go? Let's go to the hot springs. All right. So we went to the hot springs. So it's 105 outside and I'm dying. And then I jump in the water and the water's like 250 degrees. Man, it was still fun though. I'm being a little, I'm exaggerating. It's not fair. She can't fight back. But it was hot springs. Well, the Romans would find a spring like that and they would build something called an aqueduct. Now, an aqueduct is basically what we would think of as a long tube, right? It's not an animal with a bill that goes quack, right? It's not an aqueduct. It's an aqueduct, like duct tape. Now, a lot of people say duct tape. It drives me crazy. It's not duct tape, it's duct tape. Of course, I say it the wrong way, too. And then was it Walmart that came out with duct tape with a duck on it? Which is so confusing now. I want that duck duct tape. (laughs) Well, it's for ducts, right? (laughs) Well, they would build these aqueducts and they would transport that hot water down to the city. So some cities had hot running water. Other times they'd find cold springs. Now, let me tell you, there is nothing as refreshing as a cold spring. I remember being up in Canada and I was preaching at a wilderness camp for teenagers. And um, that's a little bit, it was not just teenagers. There were some juniors there too. And I got to be careful when I say wilderness. It was was in the wilderness. It was over in Calgary uh, area uh, over there. uh, And it was just beautiful, just beautiful. Uh, And uh, one of the days they decided to take us on a mountain hike. Now, I didn't always carry as much insulation around with me as I do nowadays, all right? In my high school and college years, I played sports. I wasn't terribly bad. I wasn't terribly good. I just enjoyed them. I used to run track, all right? Nothing about me nowadays says mountain hike. (laughs) And I didn't have to go. 
But I thought, you know what? I, I want to reach these teenagers. I want to be with them, I, you know, and we we're having a good time. And, and, uh, and I wanted to be a part of what was going on. So I signed up and I went on this thing. Well, it was supposed to be about four hours. In hour number nine, uh, there was obviously a problem. The sun had swung around and the people who were leading the hike were experienced mountain climbers. So it was easy for them. But I mean, there were certain parts where we were, I was standing at the bottom of a 20 foot, uh, I forget what they call it, but like a corner and you have to climb up like the corner for 20 feet. And if you let go, you just die. <laughs> so, I mean, mountain hike, I did it. And in fact, that's one of the highlights of my life because I decided, you know what, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die the right way. And so I did it backwards. I climbed it facing outward like this. And let me tell you, I looked down and you could see uh, the, the cool glacier lakes that were green in color. All the mountains were around, you know. I mean, I thought I might be going to meet the Lord. I might as well admire his handiwork while I went, right? And then you could see way off in the distance the, the, what, they would call, what we would call an interstate. And you could see just barely, look like little tiny ants, the cars moving really, really slowly down there. And I did get to the top and I've got a rock from the top in my collection. So that is my get out of ever climbing a mountain again free card. Because I did it once, don't want to do it again. But anyway, coming down the mountain was difficult. And in fact, I ended up in the emergency room for heat stroke and dehydration. But I did it. But at the bottom of the mountain was a cool spring. Oh, man. Don't drink out of it because you might get beaver fever. You know, you don't know what's been going on upstream. But let me tell you, to, to put my face in it and to just throw myself in that cool spring meant so much. You realize what Jesus is saying here to the church of Laodicea is be something for me? What do you mean, Brother Ben? Well, hot water is a good thing. We use it for what some of you call, um, oh, I just forgot the funny name for it, but coffee, <laughs> like the beverage of the gods or something. Someone calls it that. Uh, that's not quite right. Uh, but uh, coffee, hot water, right? You, make, you make, use hot water to make coffee. I get a hot shower in the morning. Hot water's good for something. Cold water's good for something. That refreshing spring, a great way sometimes. When I woke up from my nap, I didn't have to take a whole shower. I just went in and I, and I put that cold water on my face. Woo! All right? Woke me up. Cold water. Some of you have some right now, in fact. I just made some of you jealous because you don't have a cold water bottle with you. Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, be something for me. Be usable. Now, you as a church, we're just getting to know you. But I can tell you this, I can guarantee you that there's no other church just like you. You are unique. God knows all about you. Jesus knows all about you. And he wants you to be who you are supposed to be for him. Maybe you're supposed to be a hot water church, right? In my mind, I think of a hot water church as, you know, standing strong on, on doctrine and making sure that, you know, uh, are, we are on fire for the Lord. That's not a bad thing to say. 
Maybe you're a Cold Springs church where I don't want to be a cold church, brother Ben. I didn't say a cold church. Cold Springs church where you're refreshing to weary travelers who come through and, and, and such, and you refresh their spirits. I don't know what it is, but whatever you are supposed to be, you be that for the Lord. Don't compare yourself with others. It's not wise. It's so easy to do. We can compare ourselves, especially in the era of the internet, right? Oh, look at that church. Look at what they're doing. Look at what's going on over here. Listen, you just be who you're supposed to be for the Lord. Be usable. See, hot water you can do something with. Cold water you can do something with. Well, Laodicea was in a unique position because they had two aqueducts coming into the city. One from a hot spring uh, about eight miles away and one from a cold spring about six miles away. But there was a problem. Transporting water over that distance proved to be a problem because what would happen to the hot water as it traveled eight miles into the city? Yeah, it would cool off. What would happen to the cold waters that traveled the five or six miles into the city? It'd warm up. Both sources of water ended up at the city of Laodicea as lukewarm. Now, compared to hot and cold water, there's not a lot you can do with lukewarm water, particularly when you're talking about drinking, right? In fact, now maybe there's a few of you who like to drink warm water. That's weird. <laughs> but in something like that, all kinds of bacteria and nastiness can grow in lukewarm water, right? In fact, I've seen cutaway views of some of these aqueducts. It's fascinating because you can see all the calcification build up. In fact, Laodicea had this problem where this bacteria would, would build up, and then as people drank the water, what would happen? They would get sick. Well, isn't that interesting? What does Jesus say? So then, verse 16, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's exactly what it sounds like. He's saying it will make me physically sick. This is a picture that the church of Laodicea would have understood very, very well. Well, then what does that mean if you're not hot or cold, since those are two good things? What does the rest of this mean then? What's he talking about? Well, Laodicea here, do you see this part where he says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing? Well, I wonder what, what was going into that as he was saying that. Well, Laodicea, to travel back to Laodicea for a brief moment, Laodicea was very proud of their heritage because they were a self-made city. In fact, they were well known throughout the Roman uh, world for having something called a Laodicean, which wasn't a person, but it was a, an overcoat. We would think of it like a cloak that was made out of the black wool of sheep that were unique to the Laodiceans. And so they would, I almost said grow the sheep. They didn't grow the sheep like vegetables, right? <laughs> they would tend the sheep. And they would take those, uh, take that black wool and make these fabulous, luxurious overcoats or cloaks, and they would sell them throughout the empire. It made Laodicea rich and gave them a status symbol too. People would be walking down the road, you know, oh, da, 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 da. oh, I see you're wearing the latest Laodicean. Why, yes, I am. It just came by, by donkey mail. I mean, I don't, 
<laughs> it was just delivered, right? And I don't know why I have an English accent when I'm doing this impression, but, uh, <clears throat> but that wouldn't make them rich, right? In fact, historians tell us that when the city of Laodicea was almost destroyed by a natural disaster, the government offered to help them rebuild their city, and they said, no, thank you, we'll do it ourselves. They were self-sufficient. They didn't need anybody else, right? Now, follow me here, follow me. That's the city, right? Who is Jesus talking to? Is Jesus talking to City Hall? Is Jesus talking to the... Uh, you know, the, the leadership, the mayor? No, he's talking to the church. Here's the problem. Just as the water in the aqueducts took on the ambient temperature of the atmosphere around it, so had God's people adjusted their thinking to the world around them. They weren't cold like they were supposed to be. They weren't hot like they were supposed to be. They had adopted the thought pattern. See that? He's saying, you think you have need of nothing. You think you're increased with goods. You have adopted the same thought that your city thinks. Friends, today, I believe that the great danger of Laodicea is not so much apathy, because we tend to preach it that way sometimes. I know I did in the past, because we consider hot, good and cold, bad, and, you know, Jesus wants you to be one or the other, don't sit on the fence, right? We kind of give it that approach. I, I don't really think that's correct. I think it's more the idea of the problem of Laodicea was they started thinking like the world around them. I think the problem of Laodicea was compromise. And you know what, friends, a lot of people say, we live in the Laodicean age. I'm not 100% convinced that all the churches represent ages in history. If you believe that, that's fine. I I might, <laughs> whatever your pastor thinks, that's what I think. How about that? <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit that I, I don't know if it's true. It could be, but I will say this. I believe that we are living in an age when God's people are thinking just like the culture and we're in trouble because of it. How are we thinking just like the culture? Well, I can start with some easy things. Our view of success, we tend to view success just like the world does, nickels and noses. <laughs> it's not wrong to have as many people as you can get to your church. Yeah, that's great. Want more people to hear the gospel, and that's a good thing. But let not that be our measure of success, because God doesn't use that as a measure of success. God uses faithfulness as a measure of success. You know, if we apply the measure of, of success that a lot of churches do, Today, to the work of Jeremiah, Jeremiah would be an utter failure. Who listened to Jeremiah? Can you imagine Jeremiah being brought back from the mission field for an update? So, Jeremiah, how's it going? Well, not too good. <laughs> Why not? How many people have gotten saved? I mean, he understands Old Testament, so it wouldn't be the exact same language. But how many people have listened to the message? Well, zero. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Well, we'll pray for you. It comes back two years later. How are things going now? Well, the same, and they tried to kill me. <laughs> and they threw me in a pit. <laughs> well, uh, have you considered maybe altering the message? Right? Isn't that what a lot of churches would say today? Oh, we don't want to offend people. See, we don't, we don't want, oh, we don't want to be mean to people. Listen, 
that we have a problem today and that a lot of God's people are adopting the idea that love means agreeing with everything someone else does. And so, well, if you don't agree with my lifestyle, if you don't agree with this choice, you don't love me. No, friend, that is not the definition of love because true love always tells the truth. So if we truly love the people around us, we're going to tell them the truth. Doesn't mean we have to be mean about it. Doesn't mean that we have to have a, an angry spirit. No, we ought to have a broken heart. What does God, what does Jesus say here? Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. See, that's a contrast to the Laodicean cloaks. That's what he's doing there, right? And, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve. I don't even have, well, I'll mention it. Uh, the Phrygian area where Laodicea was, was famous for an eye powder, a medicinal eye powder you'd mix with water and put it on your eyes and it would help you see better. That was the, that was the line. I don't know if it worked or not, but they were famous for that. Jesus says, hey, take some of that eye powder you're so proud of and put it on your spiritual eyes. How many of us know that verse, that remember verse 20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? Most people in most churches, I'm not going to assume on you guys because I just have a feeling more of you know the truth about this verse. But your average Christian thinks that's about salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? In fact, there's a famous painting, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about, of Jesus, a very Italian-looking Jesus, all right, uh, uh, standing, if you know the picture, you know, I don't think he was, you know, six foot four and blue eyes with, you know, super, uh, anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's different than what I think Jesus looked like, but he's standing outside the heart's door and it's, you know, talking about salvation. Who's he talking to in this passage? He's talking to the church. He's saying, listen, church, you've become so enamored with what this world thinks, you've left me outside. Wow. How many churches today have a name on their church, whatever it might be, and you would think that they would be faithful to the truth, but they've locked Jesus out because they've become a slave to the culture. As we close tonight, let's bring it home really personally, shall we? I'm going to be honest with you. It'd be very easy for me to start highlighting national issues that we would all amen on. Our country has this problem. Our country has that problem. And, there, and I wouldn't be wrong. But what about coming home into our hearts? What do we struggle with? Sometimes I struggle with speaking up when I know I should. It's easy to speak up in church, right? Sometimes it's hard to I'm thinking of a specific situation where, well, I was in Indiana. I'll give you the illustration. I was in Indiana, and uh, I was at a Walmart. It was like midnight, back when Walmart used to stay open all night. And I needed something. I don't remember why I was there, but it was in rural Indiana, a very conservative part of the state. And uh, I was at Walmart, and they had, you know, 30 aisles, and three of them were open. 
and there were two long lines, and then there was one open in the middle. And I didn't know why. Man, this is my lucky night. Well, as I veered toward that middle lane, I saw why people were going to the outside lanes. Uh, and that's because the person that was at that register, uh, you couldn't tell uh, if it was a man or a woman. I'm fairly certain after getting closer, that was probably a man trying to appear as a woman. And uh, we've got various ages in here, so I'll be discreet. But my first instinct was, well, I'm going to go to one of the other lines. I don't want to deal with this, right? And But the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, which, which aisle would Jesus go in? Well, I knew right away, right? He'd go in the middle aisle, right? I wish I could tell you I went in that middle aisle and, and uh, you know, I preached a sermon and, uh, you know, this person got mightily changed by the Spirit of God and revival broke out in Walmart. And, uh, you know, people are getting saved in the aisles. And I don't have a dramatic story like that because the story isn't about that person. The story is about me. You know what I did? I went through. I looked that person in the eye. I made polite conversation, joked around a little bit. I needed that. Why? Because sometimes we get so caught up with the politics of everything that we forget individuals have souls. And it's hard sometimes because we want to stand against evil that's coming in, but yet at the same time, we want to reach out the truth of the Word of God to people who are hurting. So when we apply this truth, the only way that we're going to be able to stand strong in order to offer that hand of love, that helping hand to someone, is if we are rock solid on what we know is true. Listen, if God created the heavens and the earth, you might think I'm going off topic. I'm not. If God created everything, he sets the rules. And if God created man and woman, well, then the way to find true happiness and true fulfillment is to understand God's purpose for your life. And it's from that vantage point that I can reach out to someone who's struggling in one of these areas and say, listen, it's not supposed to be this way. I have such pain in my life. I, have such pain. I know. That's I, I, horrible. It's not supposed to be this way. But God has a solution for you. The only way that we can stay strong is not to follow what a lot of churches are doing, which is, well, then let's just tear down all the things that, that have been built up and, and we'll just accept everybody. What they mean by that is we'll put our stamp of approval on everything that's going on. That's not the solution. You're giving away the solution. No, it's to stand firm. Don't let our minds become thinking just like the people around us because only the person outside the pit can offer to help the person that's in the pit to get them out of it. So how about you tonight? Have you been tempted to think like the world around you? Maybe you think, well, I want to be more loving, so maybe I'll alter some of my thoughts. Oh, don't do that, because you're actually taking away the solution. I'll close with this. We'll be done tonight. I was reading an article, and I can track it down for you if you'd like. I try to keep track of everything so that I can go back, and if someone asks about it, I can point it out. I'd have to research this one. But uh, there was a, an activist, a uh, homosexual activist, that wrote a piece criticizing the church for compromising. And it was a fascinating article because 
the person was basically saying, not in these words, but they were basically saying that what they, they knew what they were doing was wrong. And if the church compromises, then where do I go to get right with God? It was a fascinating article. I remember praying for the person who wrote it. They were saying, if the church gives up the ground, then where can I go back to find truth? Now, that's not what the words they used. They were saying more about, you know, a stable, you know, basic part of it was, I want to rebel, and if you change, I have nothing to rebel against. <laughs> right? But friends, we've got to stay strong. And we've got to stay true. And then we'll be able to reach a dying world with the truth. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. Maybe here tonight, say, you know, Brother Ben, I needed that message. The Lord spoke to my heart tonight. Maybe this is the first time that you'd thought about that passage of Scripture is not saying cold is bad. The Lord is saying, I want you to be usable. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you've been guilty of trying to compare yourself with somebody else. Maybe it's the latter part of the message where you've been tempted to compromise on little things just because it gets tiring to hold on to them. Whatever it may be, maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to a different area of your life, but you'd say, I needed that, Brother Ben. Would you pray for me? I won't point you out or embarrass you, but you would slip your hand up tonight. Yes, amen. Amen. Yes, amen. Yes, amen. I see those. Amen. You put those down. Anyone else tonight? Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord is your Savior. Oh, friend, tonight. Make tonight the night you trust Him. Maybe you're watching online, you're listening back to the recording. Trust Christ tonight. Realize you're a sinner and that Jesus paid your sin penalty for you. And if you'll trust Him by believing on Him, asking Him to forgive you and believing He rose again from the dead, ask Him to save you tonight. He will. Dear Lord, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. I thank You for the fact that we have the truth. Lord, sometimes it's hard to hold on to the truth in a world that says we are intolerant because of it. But Lord, we have the solution. Help us to be filled with love at the same time. Real love that's bold enough and brave enough and strong enough to, to tell the truth, which will include the solution. Lord, I don't want to become lukewarm. I don't want to become unusable. Would you help me to, to be who I'm supposed to be for you? Lord, I pray for every person that lifted their hand tonight. Would you help them to be who you have them to be for you? And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name.